stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone. 99 down, one to go. We really are winging this one. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel here on Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 99. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that. Episode 99 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison. And uh, wow, we're getting very close to what I like to call milestone season. Um, so uh, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. And just, just again, for the record, we really, really are winging this one. Like, yeah, the set list, or what we call it, is like, like I can tell you as a, like a behind the sage note, like, it's less than half a page deep. And two lines is basically me joking to the bottom saying, no, seriously, this is everything. Um, so it kind of says it all, really. But we have guests and something to just about barely qualify as a show. So hopefully. You'll enjoy this before we get into the juicy stuff next week. We'll talk about that, what's happening in episode 100, very, very shortly. But first of all, let's introduce our guests. In the red corner, as usual, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes, yes, I love how you're instilling the faith of the, the millions and millions of listeners we have out there. Of course, like I am very, I am very honest with our audience, King. It's like you, you, you know me. Like the stuff that doesn't even make the cutting room floor will tell you all you need to know about my direction and leadership of this fine, fine podcast. It provides strong and stable leadership in the oh, National God. Trust. Uh, wait, that, doesn't, that didn't sound independence. Right, did it? Ah, you know what that means, right? It, it, it means a wee Scottish lass is out here basically screaming for independence. It must mean Zoe Hamilton's back with us. Hey, Zoe. Still no plan on what to do beyond that. <laughs> Just like this show, funnily enough. <laughs> but, match um, made in heaven. Match made in heaven. But, um, yeah, welcome to episode 99 of Motorsport 101. I am your friend, Mr. Andre Harrison. And, yes, I'm not padding for time by basically introducing the show twice, <laughs> as you do. But we have a very cool announcement to make um, for, for episode 100. You may have seen little dabblings of news regarding this on Twitter. But for episode 100, we are doing something very special. Well, you guys have always asked for another draft episode. Good news! You're getting one! I'm very proud to introduce for episode 100 next week, the Motorsport 101 Centennial Cup. Round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Round of applause. Yes, yes. I, I, I truly and wholly expect to be victorious when this Centennial Cup is over. Just like the last time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, again, I, I applaud the size of your cojones by going all in on a French team, but I think in your interest of winning, I don't think it was in good, in, in good trust. Hey, hey, now I don't need to worry about, you know, appeasing the listeners out there and hoping to get votes. Now all my drivers have to do is win. If only it was that easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the Centennial Cup is going to be five of us in for next week. The 100th episode. Oh, pardon me. My 100th episode of Motorsport 101 will be a draft special, the Centennial Cup. Um, we're going to put all the rules. We're going to gift the animations and make it a cool fancy on social media over the next week or so. Um, I don't think you're going to go through all the rules right this minute, King. I think it's better if we do that next week because there's no real point in doing the rules twice now, is there? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think l- later on in the show, we'll just break down what exactly the competition is because it's different than last time. It's not, you know, it's, a shot-for-shot yeah. remake. Exactly. We'll probably save that till the end of the show. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth. But basically, it's going to be another fantasy draft. And trust me, once you hear the format, I think it'll make for some very juicy radio. Or as I say on the internet these days, spicy radio. Yes, spicy. I'm really looking forward to that as well. So more on that soon. I know people have asked about episode 101 as well for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> Because we like alliteration around here. Um, we will probably do that episode live on YouTube. So stick around for more details on that as well next week. So, uh, yeah. Hopefully that'll be cool. Um, but uh, let's get into keeping it one one for a minute. Okay, we're totally not trying to pad this out for as long as possible. <laughs> we, we, we don't need to try. We got this. Yeah. So I'm going to spend the next half an hour saying to, to King regarding the World Athletics Championships because week two was going on, um, at, obviously, but between this week and last week. King, what's up with your mans? Uh, stuff went down, man. <laughs> A lot of stuff went down. <laughs> Yes, I hold no mercy because the Americans dominated the medal table, so therefore I have to completely rip King to shreds over the one, like, the the only other gold that Great Britain and Northern Ireland managed to pull off, which was the men's 4 by 100 relay. So, King, <laughs> as I rub my hands together like Birdman. <laughs> like, like, remember 2004, King? Remember 2004 at the Olympics? When when, when your man Maurice Screen had a bad baton change, we beat you there too? <laughs> I mean, this is like <laughs> GB, really? Like, really? <laughs> honestly, I was like, okay, there might be an outside chance the Jamaicans might pull off what actually might be an upset given their relatively weak team. Like, they brought in Omar McLeod, their their hurdle gold medalist, into the team, and I'm like, oh dear, it's come to this. Um, you're bringing in your hurdler. Yeah, because um, on, on paper, this was Usain Bolt's last race. It was his last race, and the Jamaican team was piss poor. And Warren Weir announced his retirement halfway through the tournament, which which didn't exactly help. So they brought in their gold medal 110-meter hurdler, Omar McLeod, who's one of the nicest guys in athletics, if you listen to his BBC interview. Um, they're Julian Fort, and then Blake of the three, and then Bolt, of course, on the anchor for, um, for in what would be his final race. More on that in a minute. Like... King, who is your team? I think it was I think it was Rogers on the first leg. You had Gatlin on leg two. I can't remember who ran your bend, but I know you had Christian Coleman, the silver medalist, on the on the anchor. And 
<laughs> what makes it all the funnier is that basically Great Britain had gone with three 200-meter runners in their relay team. Yeah, Christian Uger on the opening leg. Um, we didn't even have Reese Prescott, who is our, like, best 100 runner and, like, was it made the final of the individual 100 meters. We didn't even bother putting him in the relay team, <laughs> which I thought was funny. We, had, we brought in Adam Jamili specifically for the second leg. We had Danny Talbot, again, another 200 runner on the third leg. And then we had Nathaniel Mitchell-Blake on the anchor. Um, again, another 200 guy. Made the 200 final um, individually, but again, makes the 4 by one team. And... Um, yeah, well, it, it was it was one of the like it was the best Great Britain has ever ran a relay, and, and like, I mean, coming coming in, it seemed like the United States team was the favorite. They had the fastest time. Yeah, they were. in in qualifying. They uh, our team was again. You said it, we had Mike Rogers doing doing the start, then Justin Gatling, Justin Gatling. Then I think originally we had B.J. Lee, but then. He got replaced in the final by Jalen Bacon, and then on the anchor ah, we one. had uh, Christian Coleman, the the young stocky twenty one year old silver medalist from the individual in 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 that in, on the anchor, and I am stunned that Mitchell Blake held off Coleman on that final <laughs> on that final. I was like, where did Blake get this? Spe- like, where did he get this speed from? Where was this in the two hundred final? <laughs> if he had that, he would have friggin' medaled. Um, <laughs> like that was just hilarious. Um, like honestly, like me and brother Ryan were watching that live as it happened, and we went absolutely ape shit when we won that gold medal because we're Great Britain, we're the underdogs in everything apart from budget. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, ter- in, ter- in terms of fan support, we went nuts. We thought, like, me and brother Ryan, we're, we're huge track and field enthusiasts. Uh, we watch everything, and we batted us together and said, okay. America's probably going to win this. We could get silver against the Jamaicans now, if everything goes to Britain plan. Was, let's not, Britain was going to get silver. There was without a doubt. It, like Even based on the times earlier in the week, Britain yeah. was going to get silver. <laughs> I was like, okay, we beat the Jamaicans, we get silver. That's pretty much <laughs> nailed on here, okay? Like, we'll get silver or bronze. We're, we're pretty much guaranteed a medal. But we've got to remember, King, this is, the, this is Great Britain. We have a, like... Awful reputation for effing up baton changes. <laughs> we are very bad at this. Like, uh, like you, as an American, you can relate. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, like, we were always erring on the side of caution regarding this because it was like, well, if the baton goes round clean, which is up for debate a lot of the time with the British team, <laughs> and if everybody runs to their limits, because Jamidi was a bit of a wild card, but uh, if everybody runs well... We should get silver. Um, it's like, wait, and then the race happens. Like, okay, Bolt goes down with an injury. Like, oh no. Yeah, Britain, so, like Jamaica finishes. Well, Jamaica ends their race with a DNF. Yeah, because Bolt pulls a hammy and goes down. I love that the rest of his Jamaican teammates were blaming the fact they got held down in the blocks for so long. They said that Bolt got cold. Um, oh <laughs> so the Jamaicans still out here caping for their hero. Bless him. So, like, I didn't quite know how to feel about it when he crossed the line. I was like, oh, shit, bolts down. Oh, my God, we won. (laughs) It was like, oh, um, uh, I don't know how to react. Um, Because, like, again, me and King both are of Jamaican heritage. So, as well, we we, we do pull for the Jamaicans a bit as well. Um, 
So having Bolt go down like that was just like the saddest thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so somber. It's like, like, I, like it, it was, I was so conflicted. I was like, yes, this is an amazing gold medal. Like we, it was a national record. It was the best British relay team ever. It was a, it was a European record. Wow, Lindy Fraser was European record. They said it was a national record, but that's actually yeah, it's a European team record. Um, so we were going nuts over that. It was a thirty-seven forty-seven, which is a ridiculously fast time. Um, and then we were all like, "Oh no, Bolt's hurt!" <laughs> and they were breaking out the wheelchair, and I'm like, "Oh no, <laughs> Bolt's down. No, he's actually down, hurt this time." But it turns out, yeah, yeah, he got up. He he was a bit of cramp. He walked it off. Bless him. And then, of course, Bolt had his little moment, basically saying goodbye, and they brought him back again for the last day to Bolt for really, to really, really say goodbye um, and whatnot. And um, I did, I did find it funny, King, that after like half a dozen BBC montages regarding Bolt, <laughs> like that's me that day, right? With Bolt running, I think Laura Mir was running on the last day as well on the five thousand. And then, like, Mo Farah's last race, this 5,000 meter final as well. All the countdowns, the hashtags, and video montages, and, like, none of them did shit. It was... <laughs> <laughs> like, I did find that quite funny, I have to I say. I mean, that's, that's the way athletics kind of works. You, you never retire on a high. It's really hard yeah. to retire on a high. Yeah, it's like, hey... Maybe I can, like, like Bolt was probably thinking after Rio, hey, maybe I can stretch this out one more year. <laughs> but uh, no, not quite really. As Michael Johnson said on the BBC coverage, it was probably one year too many for you saying after winning in the, winning the 100 and the... And the, if there's the, anyone who yeah. knows that better, it's Michael Johnson. <laughs> yeah, he probably went on a bit too long himself due to injuries. But yeah, like, after Bolt had the triple-triple... Although we can't really call it that now because uh, thanks, Nesta Carter. Um, <laughs> thanks a bunch for ruining it for everyone, um, basically. But um, yeah, Bolt probably went on one 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 too long. Farrow was pretty much dead after that 5,000 final. He admitted it was probably one race too long. His legs are gone, basically. Um, he admitted it was probably one race too many. And uh, we basically hyped ourselves up for Laura Mir probably a little bit too hard. I mean, I think we ended up sixth in the medal table overall, Great Britain. And, like, you know what the BBC's like, King. Like, like everybody else is really optimistic. Like, like because they had Denise Lewis, the former heptathlete, on the coverage, and Gabby Logan, who's great, and, you know, Colin Jackson and whatnot. They were like, yeah, this is great, this is awesome. And then Michael Johnson's in the corner. And Michael Johnson's like, guys... You spent £27 million on track and field this year. This isn't that good. And yeah, you're like, like, you finished behind South Africa. Yeah, and, and it, we, I know South Africa is a big up-and-coming superpower in track and field. I know Van Niekerk seems to have inspired a lot of people over there. Um, with you know, He didn't bring home his double. And that King, you could see, they were trying so hard to make Van Niekerk the next bolt. And I'm like, guys... He's not the next Bolt. Stop. <laughs> yeah, like he, like, he doesn't, like, let's be honest. Like, the casual viewer, they watch track and field for the 100 meters. Yeah, like, that's the Blue Ribbon event. And as anybody will tell you who's big track and field fans, like, there was a, there was a good while where he had a bunch of 100 meter guys that nobody cared about. Like, sorry, Asafa, like, you're a bit of a bottle artist, unfortunately, so... <laughs> We didn't really care about you very much. Yeah. Tyson, like Justin Gatlin, he pissed hot once before. Sadly for 
sadly medical reasons. I mean, it was for his ADD, but it is what it is. And Tyson Gay, well, we did. We just never really warmed to Tyson Gay, sadly. Yeah, and he, then he, he was charismatic. He was. He, yeah. was, he was sliced bread. He was, he was he was sliced bread. He was sliced brown bread. Unfortunately, he was wholemeal, and um, that's kind of Wade's problem. He's a very very nice man. You know, very religious. Thanks God every two seconds. You know, he's, he's one of those sort of guys where if you if you're a Christian guy, you'll absolutely adore Wade. He's a, he's a very very charming young man, but he's not Usain. He's not the charismatic guy. He's not. He's not Isaac McQuala doing push-ups after a 200-meter time trial. Um, he's not that guy. And he's not Michael Johnson in terms of ability. He wasn't able to double up the two and the four, getting the silver in, in the 200 meters. And it was just like, oh, no. It's like, like plan B, King. Plan B. Plan Wade's B. not the guy either. <laughs> there is no plan B. Shit. Um, this, like, this is a problem. This is a big problem. And, like... Like, Michael Johnson was very clear during the coverage. It's like, guys, like, we we went too deep on Bolt. It's like, we've kind of changed the yardstick where now we demand stars rather than hyping up the competition. Because, King, from a competition standpoint, this was an amazing world title. Like, yeah, world titles like, in general. It was, it was incredible. Like, just how like, many Bolt, races Bolt put, perhaps. Usain Bolt put in his season best time, and it only got him bronze. Yeah, that was all he had left. That was pretty much at that point. That was the fastest he'd ran all year. Bronze. 200. Any one of five dudes could have won that final. There was upsets left, right, and center all throughout the entire tournament, pretty much. Like From a competition standpoint, it was as good a game as you could have hoped for. And the crowds are fantastic. Like, 60,000 plus almost every day. Like, they were always talking about, oh, yeah, can we make London the permanent home for the world championships? no. no. <laughs> like Seb Coe's trying to pull for it, King. It's, it's not like going to happen. <laughs> he's gonna try. Trust like me. If the United States of America can't get the world championships, <laughs> but King, we need more hero to hedgehog in our lives. Oh my god! <laughs> the man's my new hero. Because I forgot. I think <laughs> the United States is gonna host its first world championships in then. Well. It's first world championship period in 2021 when it goes to Eugene, Oregon. Like, Eugene, oh, Oregon is like a nothing city. The only thing there is the, the University of Oregon and Nike. Go Ducks! <laughs> yes. Like, that's, that's where Nike headquarters is. Like, Eugene, Oregon is nicknamed Track Town, USA. But think of the cool-looking merch the Americans will have, though. <laughs> 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 like every, every American sprinter will have a different uniform. <laughs> Let's n- think should, of the bra- bring up. Sorry, go go go, Zoe, come. Should we bring up the national lottery sort of fail attempt at viral media? Oh no! Oh no! 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 What no! Ha- explain this to me. Yeah, basically, it was one of those like automated programs where you put your name in, and like you get like one of the great British team athletes, like Ellie Doyle or Adam Jamili, like posting a, a holding word, a sign, holding a sign with that message on it. You can probably oh. imagine how terribly wrong this went very quickly. Yeah. Right, like, the ones that the BBC said were safe to um, post, like repost, was there was one that was Brexit means Brexit. Another was your da says sells Avon. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Pogba is overrated. Oh um, no! There was another one was um, 
about uh, Madeline McCann. Um, oh yeah, I found one... Maddie. Uh-huh. <laughs> Another one saying Jimmy Savile was innocent. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> it gets worse from here. Yeah, there was a couple of other ones that like you you did have to sort of sit there and go And someone like who was like Yeah, I got them to first that. I was like, How did you do that? And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, I just made it all one word so the system didn't like because obviously although it's automated, it's obviously been looking out for certain words. So they oh. merged it into one long sentence and that was it, it got through. <laughs> Wow. Some, somebody somebody get our mans a can of iron brew on Twitter to calm the fuck down with some of that shit. It's like, I saw some of those and it was just like, yep, this is going to go horribly wrong because I remember the New England Patriots did that with a social media campaign on the NFL a couple of years ago and again, it quickly got out of hand. It went from Harambe to ISIS <laughs> very quickly. Um, well, Walker Crisps done yeah. a campaign as well where it was you would submit a picture and then Gary Lineker would be holding your picture which ended up including like um, <laughs> again Jimmy Savile and Fred West and Harold Shipman and a bunch of other scumbags and you're like uh, it's like guys like companies stop doing automated social media uh, campaigns they are a terrible idea uh, and you, you also had the, the time with it Kotaku boasted about how they basically tricked um, Coca-Cola's one when it was, you would send it a message and it would make a, a nice ASCII picture of it and yeah. basically done it with, like, sent it quotes from Minecam. Oh, oh, the internet is a terrible thing. It should be shut down. <laughs> it's just, like, don't trust the internet. Automated gaming machine mysteries. Just, No. Don't don't do it. Just don't do it. It's it's not worth it. No, um, I I think recently because uh, this World Championships was in the United States, NBC's big rollout of their new TV network, the Olympic Channel, which basically only has ooh. the Olympic sports on it. And their social media thing is if you followed their Twitter account and your DMs were like open, they would send you like an automated DM to like, oh, you could go watch, you know, our our stuff on on the Olympic channel on the Olympic channel website and like you uh-huh. follow our channel on YouTube other stuff like that and it's like it's a bit creepy that they just slide into your DMs with promotions <laughs> yeah you can set that up on Twitter you can set that up any anybody on Twitter can set that up with an automated message if they if if they follow you you'll get like I've had YouTubers do that before where they've said oh yeah can you subscribe to my YouTube channel by following me here and it's like oh god really <laughs> <laughs> You crude motherfuckers. And yeah, like I said, social media campaigns, don't do it. Also, one other thing I've got to mention to you, King, because sadly, I think only Michael Johnson pointed this out. And again, like, we didn't mention this enough. Alison Felix is a goddamn monster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, if you watch the American broadcast, obviously you would get the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, like, us Europeans, for some reason. We like we obviously adore Usain Bolt, but when it comes to achievements, like people don't realize this, Alison Felix has more championship medals than Usain Bolt does. Um, Sixteen world championship medals, Alison Felix now has. Ten of them being gold. Um, she's an animal. She is unbelievable, <laughs> Alison Felix. Um, again, she 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 picked up another two gold medals on the fight on the last two days. One in the women's four by one. Um, God damn you, Tory Bowie, for just holding off the British threat. Um, damn you, King! <laughs> um, 
but al- although like our women's team were fantastic in picking up silver, shout out to Dina Asher Smith, she's awesome. But um, like again in the in the four by four as well, which the Americans have pretty much dominated since the dawn of time. Um, the Americans picked up the four by four gold, and yeah, like I, I have to I have to criticize your team, King. I've got one criticism: Salt when Bay it's... opening celebration. Really, uh, uh, that. It was Charlie's Angels the last time when you guys got beaten by Christina Hurugu, and then you guys had to go and break out the you had to go break out the Salt Bay on the entrance ramps because that was one of the funniest things about this challenge. It was that, like they were encouraging like these entrances for like yeah because wrestling stylists for the finals and it was because like, like the Aquatics World Championships did that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, okay, we're going to copy in their suit. We're going to have, like, these, like, staged walkouts for the finals. Like, especially, like, the big ones, like the like the 100 or 200, etc. And they were encouraging the camera crews, like, 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 stop, wave, do something funny. And the Americans are clearly pre-routine. To, like, we're going to do the Salt Bay celebration. And I'm like, and it's oh, like, God. They, they try to be, like, that's the one thing that I don't like about the U.S. track and field athletes. They try to be cool, but they're not really cool. <laughs> It's like it's like you're asking to get hosed if you lose here. It's like I remember that. I still remember the viral one from a couple of years ago when the Americans break out like the like the Charlie's Angels pose, and then all they cut to the British team and it's all just awkward hand waves. It's, like, it's the most culturally different thing I've ever seen, and it's so right. Like, of course, the Americans are going to go for the showmanship celebration, and we're just like, "Hi guys, hi." It's like, we're here, like it's like this is the most American British thing ever, ever. <laughs> so yeah, I, I have to give a shout out to Alison Phillips because she's just bloody incredible as well. Because my God, sixteen medals is just she still ain't even finished yet either. She might come back for another two oh <laughs> next time round because she's just such an incredible athlete to be able to run hundred, two hundred, four hundred like that is just. Utterly, utterly insane. But like I said, an amazing world championships, at least for where I'm sitting. Like a lot of people were complaining, like, oh, there's had, we've had no highlight moments and whatnot. And I had, a, I got into an argument with um, Katarina Johnson Thompson's boyfriend regarding this, <laughs> um, <laughs> because like her boyfriend is the DJ Nick Bright for Radio One, and like because he, he stopped by my my uni when I was doing my degree. Um, through a friend of a friend, we still kind of just ended up like just going back and forth with each other on Twitter a few times. I didn't realize until two years ago he's now like dating KJT. So like we have a bit of banter between me and him during the track and field, whenever it's on, whenever she competes. And like he was complaining, oh we've had like, like all the stars have not performed, and it's like it's a bad time. And I'm like, dude, it's been a great championships if you're if you're if you're a neutral and. Yeah, like, oh, like... Oh, we, we need we need a highlight, and then and then what happened the same day? Uh yeah, Great Britain won gold in the four by one, and it's like, yeah, boy. <laughs> I was like, who's laughing now? I almost wanted, I almost wanted to go too far and say, is it because your girlfriend finished fifth in the high <laughs> I was jump? about to bring that up. <laughs> I, I was like, so let me get this straight. You were fifth in the hepta- Your girl was fifth in the heptathlon and fifth in the high jump, and it's like, is that part of the problem? <laughs> I'm not that mean. Maybe just not yeah. like, to heavily imply on the podcast where he's not listening instead. Good, go me. <laughs> I mean, like, like you expect like a WrestleMania moment? Like, <laughs> well, luckily for us, we kind of got one. <laughs> yeah. Although, as Michael Johnson said, one individual gold medal in the entire championships probably not a good look. But you know, it's like 
Are you a glass half empty guy or a glass half full guy when it comes to looking at it? Because as I said, like, yeah, we were sixth overall, but at the same time, we were behind South Africa. Our budget is way bigger than most of the other countries. We had a bunch of fourth places and four of our medals came from the relays. Not the best of looks. Especially the amount of money that the National Lottery puts in. Oh, yeah. And yeah, apparently I mean, most of it goes to the runners. Because I think someone was commenting how the hammer throwers don't get a lot. The hammers and the shot putts don't get a lot from the, right. the National Lottery Trust Fund. Yeah, there's always been debates about that, about how about who gets what and how the lottery funding splits up, you know, like... Don't tell Adam Johnson this, but like again, like the track cycling getting the most, and then how it gets divvied up because they've been so good in recent years, and you know th- there's been debate about which sports get funding and which haven't for a long time, which is funny enough because again on the on the global stage, maybe only two countries get more funding for their programs in general than Great Britain do, and that's China and the United States. Well, so the the United States, it's weird because. Uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee has zero public funding. The U- like the the government pays zero dollars for it. It's all corporate sponsorship. But you've got the collegiate system in place, which is just so good anyway. It doesn't yeah. even matter. You guys get no. Uh, public you funding. you have a lot of the, the scholarships in that as well, isn't it? There. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. The college system helps, but pretty much after you graduate from college, which is like around twenty, like twenty two. You're pretty much on your own unless you've already been to a games. Yeah, so you've got to be really good to get on that wagon. Otherwise, you're kind of done after your early 20s. Yeah, like, like, like I get that. It makes sense. Because, yeah, like, again, like, there's no intrinsic monetary value on that. But as I said, the collegiate system is so good, it doesn't matter, really. Yeah, like, there'll, like, always, there'll and always be a conveyor belt. It's always a conveyor belt, but it's it's a bit... it's a, It's a bit complicated because... Anyone can get a scholarship. You don't have to be American. True. Again, again, you can get into that another time. But there's always been debates about like, like athletes like changing like national allegiances. Like, like a lot lot of Jamaicans suddenly representing Turkey. Um, (laughs) And you know, we we've poached a couple from the US. We've poached a couple from Italy before, and. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit weird. Um, and again, it's been pointed out before. Like, yeah, like the system is a little bit messed up. How you can suddenly just manipulate it so you can have people just changing national allegiances every two seconds. And let's not even go there with the uh, authorized exempt Russian athletes that took part and going into the top ten on the medal table. Uh, yeah. So seeing the seeing the A and A there, the, that that firm nation. Um, <laughs> that firm, long nation, long-standing nation that's been around forever. <laughs> yeah, cracking the top ten. I think they finished ninth overall, and I was like, ah, oh, authorized national athlete. Not like, in other words, the Russians that weren't doping, basically. Oh my god! Um, I think I think my keeping it one hundred and one is going to be about that because I watched the documentary about that over the past week. Yes. Yeah. Like, like, it's on Netflix, isn't it? I'm actually curious to find it now. I don't know if it's on the on the UK Netflix, but it, I know it's it probably on it probably is because it was made by Netflix themselves. Okay, I'm have to search it up and keep a tab on it. That is, it is. It is probably. It is fantastic. It's probably one of the best documentaries I've ever watched. Just by like, wow. Oh my god! It is the. I would probably say the first third to half of the movie isn't about Russia in particular because. 
the documentary was never going to be about Russia. <laughs> okay, so it was just like a little bit of an across-the-board look, but obviously a lot of it is going to no, apply no. to Russia. Because no, go on, go on, go on. Okay. You, you, you tell me, you tell me. <laughs> so the director of the of of the documentary, he's also probably like the, the quote-unquote main character of the documentary, Brian Fogel. He's... Uh, like a stage right, like a comedic stage right here in the in the U.S. So he, he right. writes a lot of like comedic plays and stuff like that. And but he's a big cycling fan. And one of the things right. that yeah, so like one of the things that really interested him was like how the doping system worked. And he was actually friends with someone who was on the the United States Postal Service team with Lance Armstrong. <laughs> Ah, well, that's a pretty good way of getting your foot in the door. <laughs> so, yeah, he basically used his friend to get a foot in the door to uh, uh, the UCLA doping lab. And basically what he wanted to do, he wanted to sign up for the hot, for the hot route, the, the high route in, in Switzerland, which is basically like an amateur, the most insane amateur cycling contest in the world. It's basically you take the most insane seven days of the Tour de France and you cram it into a seven-day race. <laughs> Oh dear God, that sounds like hell. Yeah. So, what do you want to do? One year, do it clean, and then over over the course of a year, dope as heavily as possible without, you know, being detected on <laughs> on a test, and see how well he does the next year. Oh dear God, this sounds this sounds highly dangerous <laughs> and strangely entertaining. <laughs> It was entertaining. Like the tone of the movie shifts drastically as we as it goes from the start to the finish, and basically, basically the the head of the UCLA lab is like, at first he's on board, then some of his colleagues get wind of what what he's you know doing, because technically, all the all the water labs, all the world anti doping labs, they can't. You have to be a professional athlete to do tests. You can't, like, just send samples in the test because then you, you can find a way to get around the system by just, you know, just seeing what the limits of the tests are. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah, basically, you... yeah, so basically the, the head of the UCLA lab's like, I'm sorry, I can't help you anymore. Like, I could get fired for this. Jesus. So in other words, you're saying this got dark pretty quickly. Not at this point, because at this point in the film, they introduce probably the 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 true subject of the fo- of the film. The guy at the UCLA labs like, I have a colleague who can help you out, and he directs him to Grigory Rashenkov, and he's the head of of Rosada, the Rosada lab in Moscow, the main Russian anti-doping lab. Oh, good. <laughs> well, this sounds promising. Uh, Rashenkov, he's he's a he's a very charismatic kind of guy. <laughs> like I'm being completely <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, and Rashenkov, he basically says, "I'll help you do it." Like, no, without a doubt, I'll help you do it. Um, so basically, basically to make sure that you know he could. Tests his urine samples in their lab. He has to basically, like, almost every day test himself. But not really, like, basically pee in a cup, put it in his freezer, and when, you know, Grigori comes to the United States, he'll pick it up and smuggle it back to Russia. 
was like, good luck explaining that one to the wife. It's like, um, honey, why are all these urine samples in my fridge? Um, um, it's like, good luck explaining that one. But um, so, like, it's weird. Like, like so there's, there's a there's a lot of comedic elements in this. Like, it's, like that seems interesting. It's not. It's not purposely comedic but they know like this is so ridiculous it's hilarious right <laughs> right yeah so it's like it's like it's it's accidentally very funny in that sense so back to the, the amateur cycling competition clean year he's he's basically the back marker he is basically like in the last five riders like he is finding it like he's saying this is the most like he's been cycling for years like the the only thing that made him stop cycling he ended up like in a in a cycling accident in college and he you know hurt his knee and basically said yeah i I can't keep doing this but basically yeah he's like been cycling for you know over like nearly two decades and he can't keep up with these amateurs he's like top like mid five but like he admits like some of these guys are like professional level cyclists if they wanted to right after you're doping he's he's easily in the top ten Jesus Christ and it is scary how much of an effect doping has like in terms of physical ability obviously like he admits like there are some like elements of skill that he doesn't have that probably keeps him from being you know a dominant cyclist and Grigori's like like a year isn't enough to really be in peak physical shape like I think he ended up falling back to where he finished last year because of a, a mechanical failure on, a bi- on his bicycle and he's really upset about that but uh Grigori's like, don't worry, don't worry about this, Brian. This is only the start. We'll, we'll, you know, try. We'll continue your program and try again next year. Oh dear God! Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I think they were planning to do like this for like two or three years, but, but during the during the second program, this is the run up to this is 2015 the run up to the 2016 Rio games ah <laughs> and during this time period um it becomes pretty cl- like uh it Wada they come to the findings of what happened during the Sochi games during the the outlet, the electrical outlet that really wasn't an outlet, but was really a hole into the next room, so FSB agents of the Russian government could swap out dope samples. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm guessing all of a sudden the the Russians, the Russian sources suddenly got closed in a little bit. Um, <laughs> during the during the coverage of the documentary, uh, like. Grigori is pretty much the number one guy, like the number one source of information for uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency, and he's he's clear. Like the Russian government forces to resign, they try to make him the scapegoat, saying that since he was the head of the lab, it was all his idea. But like it was clear that you know Vladimir Putin knew that pretty much like this was a state-sponsored program that pretty much Grigori was only doing it because. That's the way it's always been done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this basically, sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah. Brian 
sneaks Grigori out of Russia to the United States. Oh my god! This is ridiculous! <laughs> and then, This like, sounds... Ins- I- I'm watching this as soon as we finished recording this episode. Holy shit! Yeah, like... I won't tell you, like, how the, like, the case gets to a conclusion. I-, I won't spoil that for you, but yeah... <laughs> Oh my, like, I will report back with my findings on episode 101, most likely, because, um, holy shit. Um, this sound, I have heard a lot of rumblings about Icarus being very good, and my best friend that came down from St. Helens the other day lent me her Netflix account. Thanks, Rosh, I owe you one. And thanks for getting me into Rick and Morty. It is as funny as you hyped it up to be. Much appreciated. Um, it took you a long time to get on that hype wagon train. I'm late with everything. Like, anyone that knows me and it comes to hype wagons, I'm always, like, a year or so late on these things. But, like, I now have, like, a list of shit I need to get through on Netflix at some point. It's just... I'm not I'm not a big TV guy unless it's Live Sports King. That's my problem. It's like, I don't like sitting down and doing nothing. It's like, a, I'm the sort of guy that feels like he has to do something. And, yeah, it's always been kind of a problem for me. But... Hey, I've got a lot of boring nights at work planned planned up over the next couple of weeks. Like I've got a fifty hour work week coming up next week, so um gotta do something to pass the time, right? Yeah. So uh yeah, maybe maybe I'll get started on House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> dot 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 coming soon to Motorsport one oh one. Like this would be really cool if the year was two thousand and ten, I suppose, but maybe not now. Yeah. <laughs> and like also, side note, Formula One did come up. <laughs> Formula One did come oh. up. How, well, basically, Putin needed a scapegoat because of Russia was way too involved in sports at the moment. Like, Gregory hmm. was complaining that Putin, Putin needed this to go away because, it, like, there was so much talks about the soccer and the Formula One. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> the Formula One. Like, what do you mean we can't get Vitaly Petrov back in? <laughs> oh, dear. Like, that sounds great. But I will definitely watch that and report back with my findings on a later Keeping It 101. But uh, with that left behind, shall we dig into the very brisk news segment? I think we should. Let's get into it. Here's the news, and this one very subtly dropped during that aforementioned men's 4x100 meter final. And I was like, oh! I, 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 I glanced on my timeline on Twitter, I was like, oh, Michaela Ocean's done an SPM. Back to celebrating! Yes! Oh my god. <laughs> but um, it was like, yeah, this came up like Saturday 5pm Eastern, a very weird time for a uh, press release from SPM. Um... And yeah, they have, they announced that Michaela Lotion is parting ways of SPM's IndyCar team with immediate effect. I think it was King that he's going to try and help craft the NMP1 car, basically, at this point. Yes, yes, his sponsor, SMP Bank. They're, they have their own team in, in the World Endurance Championship, SMP Racing. Mm-hmm. And he's moving over there to help them develop their privateer LMP1. A privateer LMP1. That seems like a really good time for that sort of thing, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Got, gotta get Russia that 24 hours of Le Mans win. 
<laughs> nice to know that some parts of SPM are as bad at trends as I am. It, 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 it fills me with confidence. But this is like, I mean, how do we wrap this up? Because Michaela Lotion, I mean, let's be honest here. He has had many a big accident this season. And I think it's fair to say he's had a pretty disappointing season, especially given how strong he looked at the end of last year, you know, where he could have had a win at Mid-Ohio. You know, finished second, I think it was, at Pocono last season, where he finished just behind Will Power, and we were like, oh, okay, Illusion's starting to get it together. And it just hasn't really. Like, m- multiple silly incidents this season, King. I mean, I think, I think oh, like, the Canaan one at St. Pete, and then he, he broke Hildebrand's hand at Long Beach, and he caused that $3 million pileup in Texas. Um, like, he's not been making a lot of friends in that paddock this year, King. Yeah, he was not making a lot of friends, but though he was, he was, when he was, when he was keeping it clean, he, like, upon the, <laughs> ignore the reference to the, the last segment, when he was keeping it clean, he was really <laughs> coming into form. Like, especially the ovals, which was completely foreign to him coming to the U.S., like, you mentioned his Second place in Pocono, finished fifth in Iowa last year. Yeah. He got a pole at Pocono last year. Yeah, he got a pole at Pocono. At, like, he was getting ovals, and he was picking it up quick. Very much so. Then, unfortunately, this year he had two enormous wrecks that were his doing in, on ovals, which was just like, Mikhail, no! You're ruining all your hard work, and... Yeah, he had the big one in Texas with Kanan and his own teammate, which didn't go down well, I would have guessed. Um, like, apparently James took it very well. Quote, unquote, that's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> in the most furiously polite Canadian accent. Um, and I think he had the other one. I, f- I want to say it was it was earlier in the season. He, he spun out and he caused the five-car wreck. I can't remember which one it was. Count me out here, King. Um... Um, oh god, I don't remember. Because he spun out and he caused like four or five dudes to get wrecked. I think, I think Graham Rahal was one of them. Was, that it, day. was it Iowa? Yeah. I want to no, say it might It was I before s- that. I think it was Phoenix. Yeah, probably Phoenix. That, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's a good shout. I think it was Phoenix. Um, yeah, it was Phoenix. Yeah, him and he just took out a pot, almost half yeah. a dozen cars. I think Bourdais was one of them that day as well. And that re- re- very much upset King. Um, yeah. <laughs> he took out Bourdais, and then in the sort of like dust and that, um, you had um, Marco lost the air because the way he took out Bourdais, Marco basically lost control of his car because he lost the, the slipstream. Um, Max Chilton ended up spinning as he tried to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ray Hall tried to dive between Chilton and Andretti, unfortunately, hit them both instead. Yeah. <laughs> Classic Graham Ray Hall over ambition. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not been a particularly pleasant season for Mikhail. A lot of, a lot of F ups. It's just a shame because, like I said, like, like you guys said, he's, he's, he was getting oval super quick. It's just, and of course, he is a noted, noted cool guy. His, his race car Twitter hails him. And like, um, he, mm. if anything shows, he really wanted to be an IndyCar. If, if Road America shows anything, he really, really <laughs> wanted to be an IndyCar. 
Yeah, he really did. Bless him. And like you could see, he had an incredible amount of enthusiasm for the series, and like he was a real, he was turning into a real fan favorite for just being one of the coolest guys in the paddock in terms of his his music career, and you know, just just this general like great sense of Russian charisma and good fun. Um, did you ever uh, see the the video? And it's him and Pajno are in a guitar shop. Yes. And he picks up one of the guitars and starts playing it, and Simon just goes in the background and gets the phone out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is brilliant. It's like this is gold, right here. He, he like uh, uh, the only thing that would have made it more passionate if he if he started hula hooping afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Though I should I should note a line in the in the racer article about Alotion's departure. Uh, Alotion did not rule out a return to IndyCar at some point in the future, but admitted the immediate prospects are slim. So, hopefully he could maybe spend a year or two in sports cars and come back. He is hoping. Well, that's what, like, Pagano and Hunter Ray did. Yeah. It's true. Like, maybe being on the outside looking in can make you more desirable. Um, Hey, hey, who knows? Hey, hey, maybe... Maybe 2018 Le Mans champion Mikhail Lotion might come back. <laughs> yeah, because he'll be the only privateer LMP1 car <laughs> taking part. Oh dear, yeah, it's, it's 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 a it's a sad it's a sad case definitely. But um, whew, here's hoping, here's hoping. Uh, well, I would like to see Mikhail Lotion back. I think there's still definitely potential there with him. It's just a shame that uh, it's, he's just had a pretty disastrous season by his standards and. SBM are an ambitious team. They've always wanted to get someone of Hinch's caliber in the second car. And, you know, we'll probably see how that plays out with Silly Season later in the year and how that progresses. But, um, yeah, it's a shame, really, for Mikhail. I mean, they've looked for a little while now to get a really quality guy in the number seven car. But uh, it looks like Mikhail is not that guy, at least for now. Moving into F1 for a little bit. King... We've got to get one of your mans involved here, Mr. Gene Haas. Uh, oh, dear. He, like, I think the penny has dropped with Gene that uh, this F1 lock is uh, not quite as fun as he first thought. Yeah, that he he's finally realizing that line about F1 being a meritocracy might not be true. Really? <laughs> <laughs> We've never mentioned that on this show. <laughs> right, King? Right? No. <laughs> N- nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. You know... Uh just oh dear it's 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 not great is it like it, like it, it, he's, he's pointed out that uh yeah like the gaps in the field right now is uh not what you call positive i guess right now yeah where he's been quoted as saying that well let me just read the whole thing because he kind of goes on a bit of a rant but it's not really an it's more like a sad rant <laughs> Yeah, it's, just, it's more like just a. It's like one of the, it's like Kevin Keegan's like pre-retirement speech when he was England manager. It's just it's just sad. It's just like yeah, it's like I just give up on this whole I'm gonna win races thing basically. Yeah, where he <laughs> says, I think we have two good drivers right now. They've both scored points. The car is very good, but the real cloud hangs over us is the fact that we're one to two seconds a lap off the fastest cars, and quite frankly, we don't understand. We can be that f- that far off with with what we consider to be state of the art equipment. 
other than the top three teams, everybody's in that boat. To me, that's the biggest problem that I see right now, that the top three teams are light years ahead of everyone else. They are also, they're also the teams that develop their own engines, transmissions, and chassis. So there's an inherent advantage in doing that. How do we, under, how do we uh, overcome that? Quite frankly, there's no answer to that, which is really depressing. Oh, man. Gene is just so unhappy. Like, Can we get Gene a copy of F1 2017, please? Like, <laughs> like just, just, to, just to pep him up a little bit, you know? Like, like guys, the car development actually works. Yeah, it's like, oh, no. Like, being a customer team in F1 is, like, effectively redundant these days. Who would have thought it, right? No, it's... it's it's a sad, it's sad times in that time. I mean, it's not like Haas are bad or anything. They're clearly in the midfield. They're they're getting involved in the battle for, for you know solid points finishes. Magnussen's been, I think, has been actually pretty good when he's not driven like an idiot this season. Him and Grosjean is a it's a solid team. They've already confirmed them for next year. There's a lot to like about that Haas team right now. It's just they are still again, as Gene has says, given what what their goals were, they were thinking wins and championships. They are a country mile behind where they need to be. And, like, they've always said that they don't want to be a Ferrari junior team or anything of the, of the like a Ferrari B team, so to speak. But the way it is right now, King, with Grosjean still, again, being possibly scouted for Ferrari's main team as well, it's it's just sad times in the hassle round right now, really, isn't it? Yeah, because it, it seems like Gene Haas thought he could do... Uh, the same thing he did in NASCAR, what he did in F1, where he started out with a partnership with a large championship-winning team in in NASCAR's Hendrick Motorsports. In F1, it was it was Ferrari, and pretty much he signed his he he got a partner involved who was familiar with the sport and knew the right people to hire. In NASCAR, it was Tony Stewart. In F1, it was Gunter yep. Steiner, and he's taking the same exact steps. And eventually in NASCAR, they went on to win championships and right. go on to leave their partnership with Hendrick Motorsports and go out on their own. And that path seems to be non-existent in Formula One. There is no doing that, where he realizes we're going to have to build our own engines and transmissions if we want to even have a shot at even going on our own. <laughs> And we all know that path is ludicrously expensive. <laughs> yes. Something that Formula One, them, like racing in Formula One itself, does not cover financially. No. And we've, we've mentioned this before on this show that unless you're in the top four, F1 really just isn't worth it financially speaking. It's just unsustainable. I mean, like, we, we talked about how Force India was making a crap ton less than McLaren, despite having their best ever season last year, finishing fourth overall. A customer team, fourth, beating Williams, beating McLaren, one of the most prolific teams in the sport. Oh, yeah, we're still making less money than them, though, because, you know, historical significance and shit. <laughs> historical um, significance. Yeah, so, you know, it's 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 it, it, times are hard for a, for a satellite team in, in F1, effectively, and... You know, it's not going to be like MotoGP where they they're giving the smaller teams paychecks now to help compensate and get make them more competitive. And King, look how great MotoGP's been this year for that. With you know guys like Danilo Petrucci, Johan Zarco, and Jonas Volga all having strong podium finishes this year um, on satellite bikes, basically because teams can afford better machinery. And F1's not going to get to that sort of point anytime soon, really, is it? 
Yeah, like, I know a story has come up recently where uh, Chase Carey, he kind of wants, well, not a MotoGP style system, but basically he wants there to be more standard parts in the car. So the cars will be, you know, closer performance-wise, so we could get, you know, something, like, not similar to IndyCar, but, you know, at least you don't have this massive gulf. Indeed, because, I mean, we look at the structure right now, and Zoe pointed this out before we went on the air, it's it's the big two, Ferrari and Merckx, and there's a significant gap back to Red Bull. And they, I, mean, I saw the story the other day, King, Red Bull were basically blaming their lack of wind tunnel working for basically losing two months of development. Yeah. So, uh... It looks like Red Bull were kind of boned from the start, and they probably knew it, really. Um, so they're now a significant gap back. And then you've got another real gap to probably force India, who's been the consistent number four team this year. And then maybe a little gap back, and then you've got the mess that is McLaren, Toro Rosso, um, Renault, or when I say Renault, probably Polkenberg, really. is it, probably the more realistic way of putting that. Then the Haas guys of Grosjean and Magnussen, they're all somewhere in the middle of that of that train wreck of, in the battle for minor points. Um, and then you've probably got a little bit of a gap back to to Sauber and probably Jodian Palmer, if you want to call it that, right now in terms of just golf of, of ability and where guys are struggling at the moment. And it's it's kind of always been this way, King, at least certainly in recent times where there's been significant gaps of balance in the field right now, but Again, there's just no easy fix. We've been here before already, haven't we? We're yes. Talking about this, and I don't know if if that like just melee in the midfield just became like a massive fight for third place. Formula One would probably be a whole lot better. Like if those yeah. guys like weren't competing for wins, but if they were just competing for podiums, like the the quality of racing would be a lot better. Oh yeah. Um, again, if like, if you had fights for third every weekend, yeah, absolutely, you'd have a you'd have a much more interesting podcast. Hey, if if a top team had a bad day, you'd be talking about potentially second place or even race wins. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, even like the team that's going to clean up the mess if 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 the two big teams have a bad day is going to be Red Bull. Hence Daniel Ricciardo winning in Baku. Um, hence Verstappen being in the mix before his engine inevitably dies. Um, <laughs> it, that's been the story of the season for Rebel. It's either Ricardo gets plucky again or Verstappen's engine fails before he has a chance to get involved. Um, and again, the other teams like Williams and, 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 and Force India and whatnot, they're all in that mix for minor points and everybody's kind of beating each other up right now. And that's what's allowed Force India to break free in that fight for fourth. Because they have two really solid drivers and a really good car, but it's nowhere near as good as those guys fighting in the top six. More about that in the Centennial Cup later. Uh, <laughs> and how we're, we're going to be planning that format out. But uh, it's sad. But again, Gene Haas has, has realized he's drunk the coffee and realized that, uh, yeah, he's not going to have it quite his own way. King, you you pointed what this one out here, talking about junior Junior teams in Formula One. I think Autosport wrote a plus feature column about this. And um, what did you? What were you able to draw from that? Uh, basically, there needs to be a place for young drivers to go, and preferably that place shouldn't be at the top of the grid where they'll probably burn out in a couple of years. You mean like the Red Bull Driver Academy in recent times? <laughs> Never, <laughs> never, because they they bring up other like 
things like despite Red Bull having Toro Rosso, like we kind of forget that Danny Ricardo started out driving an HRT. Yeah, again, that's normally a dead end for most drivers. Like Ricardo got lucky given his his sponsorship and whatnot. Um, but again, like Ricardo's kind of the exception; he's not the norm. And if you look at Red Bull's scattered history, we've talked about it before on this show that. There's a lot more failures than successes when it comes to that driver academy. I mean, the successes have been fantastic, obviously, but let's not forget for a while, Mark Webber was the wrench in the conveyor belt regarding that Red Bull team. And it's Daniel Ricciardo basically is the wrench now. <laughs> He's really good, but you've now basically ruined Carlos Sainz's early career because there's no way he gets around this now, pretty much. Yeah, there's Which no way why... he gets around this unless he leaves the team. <laughs> Yeah, as we as, as we pointed out before, like Christian Horner is now actively shopping scientist contract on the open market, which kind of says it all, really. But I mean, did they come up with any solutions in that autosport? Potential solutions in that autosport quantum game regarding uh, potential junior teams and whatnot. Like there, are, like a lot of notable solutions would be. Uh, one option that they mentioned would be any team with a budget more than 150 pounds would have to run a third car. Oh, this discussion. The old third car. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, dear. And I, um, I, I don't know. I see... I have a couple of things in mind where... Like, I know Brundle brought this up last year where he feels like uh, if, you know, when a manufacturer comes to the sport, they should, have a, they should have to have a B team. Where, like, you know, Red Bull and Toro Rosso, uh, Ferrari are, you know, pretty, they're pretty close to having another deal with Sauber again. And it's either, you know, they take an existing team under their wing or they start up a junior team from scratch. <laughs> Oh, okay. Having fact having factories run more junior teams in theory sounds great, but as Red Bull has pointed out, there's no guarantee they end up moving the conveyor belt on that quickly, as we've seen. Like Red Bull's biggest problem was that their academy was almost too good, in the sense of they've basically had now I'd argue three of the eight best drivers in Formula One by having Ricardo, Verstappen and Sainz all in the mix at the same time. And Kvyat was Kvyat was up there too until the switch basically killed his own confidence. Um, given that it's not it's not pointed out often, but Kvyat did beat Daniel Ricciardo head to head in 2015. Um, so, like Red Bull were almost too good at this, and it, it, it intrinsically caused its own set of problems. Yeah, like, oh, like the only reason I'd be for mandatory B teams would be, one, it would make it more profitable to actually start a Formula 1 team if you're a smaller team because you know there's going to be a manufacturer to help you. And Yeah, true. Like, it's not the case now because there's probably not enough manufacturers because right now there's five, so there'd be five B teams. True, true. Oh, that, that, that's, that's, that's a lot of head scratching you're going to have to do right there by the looks of it. But, probably, uh, the thing is, to make it feasible, you'd probably have to expand the grid. Yeah. You would need... You're always yeah. going to have private teams that won't want to have anything to do with that. 
like or wee teams like Sauber, if they don't become a B team for Ferrari, for example, they would want to be independent from that. Or like Haas, for example, who mm-hmm. don't really want to be known as a Ferrari junior team by any measure. While Sauber are obviously more open to the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. But the problem is, is that F1 doesn't really have the luxury of expanding the grid right now. I mean, they're at 20 right now, but like, who is going to be the one to drop all that money to basically be worth having a third team or a second team on the grid or buddying up with a, with a factory? I mean, that's a big ask, given the amount of financial investment you've got to make to even start a new team from scratch. Well, I know like a lot of people would be much more open to coming to Formula One if they knew they were going to have manufacturer support, like, technically and financially. And one of those people is sure. Michael Andretti has always been open to that. If they had the option of customer cars or some kind of support system. True, true. Um, from Michael just puts a finger in every pie, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's, just, he's just greedy at this point. Like, the man, the man wants his name on everything, even if they're not very good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I said, King, like, as it stands right now, it's like there's a couple of folks that would want in right now on that. But whew, like, could you ever see F1 adopting that sort of approach? Uh, no, like Liberty would really have to like Flip Liberty. Ha- that bill. Yeah, they they haven't made any indications that they're trying to do that or even thinking about doing that. The thing is, yeah. you probably have a couple of teams would argue that Formula like Formula Two should be like their B, the B teams and all that. That's because you should be taking the kids from there and second them in to F one. True. And again, Formula Two again, that's got its own set of problems given the path of progression and the fact there is no guaranteed prize for the winner with a champion's clause that is actually more destructive to the series than helpful. Um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of why it's still untangled from that circuit, so to speak. Um, but I like, the, I like the conversation, and I do like the idea of, you know, more junior teams, if it means getting more guys like Andretti involved, that would be cool. It's just F1 has just got too big a price on entry, really. Yeah. To make, I think to really make it work, and we've seen Hash struggle with that now. I mean, he was willing to burn a hundred mil a year to make this work, and he's done that now for two seasons. And well, they're still not even in the top seven right now overall. Like that's like like regular points is still a struggle for Hass right now, and there's, there's still a, a greater chance I think, of teams pulling out than coming in right now, and that's. I mean, That's like the big hurdle. Uh, like Michael Andretti is probably just like the most prominent of the teams that would want to come in if they could get support. Like sure. other, other like uh, Dams, who runs you know Renault's Formula E team, they've always wanted <sighs> to come into Formula One, but it's it's never been cost effective for them to do so. Also, Prima Power team have also you know made the same points as Dams. Like they would love to be in Formula One, but like. The, the barrier of entry is just too high. Yeah, you're looking at like 50 plus million easy just to even get your foot in the door with a basic car. And that's just, that's I mean, a massive step up in funding. If, <laughs> if dams could buy a Renault off the shelf, they probably would. But again, those power units ain't cheap. Uh, <laughs> I mean, would even like either of like 
Roger or Jay Penske. Like, I know Roger done F1 back in the, the 70s and that. <laughs> like, I, I, as much as I love Dragon Racing, Jay Penske cannot afford to come to Formula 1. Not even close. back in F1 would be quite nice. It's like, back in the corner, Zoe, you're far too optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Penske, Roger kind of pulled out after um, his... Oh, I feel terrible because I've forgotten his name now, but his main guy died. Um, oh, God. Oh. Who was on Penske's Formula 1 team? Because like, I know... Um, I think Watson won a race for him. But he had, there was the guy who had won on the Indy 500. I feel really bad because I've forgotten his name right now. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm blanking. Like, now I have to look this up. I would have feel bad. It's, it's like, at least, at least on this show, like, I don't pretend when I don't know something. It's like, yeah, like, this, this, this one's all on you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. It's, I knew like. his name and then I went to see and I went, nope. It just went out of my head completely. <laughs> Oh dear! Hang on, give 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 King a minute. He'll find it. Talk amongst yourselves. It's like I Mark mean, Donahue. Oh, oh yeah, Mark Donahue. Yeah, but Mark oh, Donahue. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he 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 never raced any of the Penske Formula One cars. No, but wasn't he supposed? He was trying to get. They were going to do F one. He was going to be doing the F one car, and then he died, and it kind of. Oh yeah, and seven like that was uh in like. In seventy one, that was like before that they entered the a team at all. Yeah, I'm just so... looking them up on Wikipedia. He, he done seventy one, seventy four, and seventy five. And yeah, and then they were mainly died running seventy five. Yeah, and then Watson drove the Penske's in the North American races in seventy four, seventy five, and seventy six. You can't see it, but in, in this lobby right now, the room smells like burning batteries from the amount of historical coverage we get in right now. It's like, it's like it's too smart. Uh, yeah. Now, I just looked it up. Yeah, it was the, the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, he had the, the crash at uh, Mark Donoghue. No, like, the, the only... <laughs> like, the only thing that I remember is probably because uh, Citibank, the, the New York bank... Where uh, that were sponsoring Penske at the time, they they had forced John Watson to shave his beard. Really? <laughs> yes. So it was like Homer Simpson, and it was like Dustin Burns in the, in the Homer at the Bat episode of The Simpsons, where he tells Don Manley to trim his sideburns. <laughs> Manley, yes. I thought I told you to save those sideburns. <laughs> oh dear, that's like imagine like, like like imagine telling James Harden to shave his beard like. <laughs> It's part of the brand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> imagine like, oh, it's like, hey, Nigel Mansell, you're, you're gonna be racing for, you're gonna be racing in America now. You need to shave your mustache. <laughs> be like, what? <laughs> I would fight that man and tell me that. Like, come on now, you, you, like, you shave this off myself. Like, you're coming to my house with the shaver, and you're shaving this off yourself. I would love to see you try. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have that. But um. Speaking of F1 and development races and issues with that, whew, um, King, Edams are throwing some interesting warning signs out there for Formula E going forward. Basically, don't be Formula 1, please. <laughs> Amazing, Matt. Like, like, it seems like such simple advice, but in hindsight, 
yeah, we've, we've, we've kind of been here before when it comes to Formula 1, but obviously a lot of people have been getting excited over Formula E in, in its future, given the amount of manufacturer back-end involvement we've talked about in the last two or three weeks on this show. But EDAMs are basically saying, well, we've got to be careful here that, you know, if, for example, if the batteries... Uh, if, if the batteries become unspec, so to speak, where they can develop their own, like the cost could very easily get out of control, right, King? I mean, that's, that's, that's what they're basically implying. Yeah, Renault's technical chief has said, "quote the the bigger cost that could come in the future is definitely a concern. We have to control the costs of any arms race through the rules, which are controlled by the FIA. We do not want to." We do not want to open development of the chassis, arrow, or battery. The championship is still young. We have to be careful we care for it as still a young child. We have to take care, and some of the new guys coming in have already stated they'd like, they would like to see more freedoms. Gosh. Uh, so, in other words, I like Porsche coming in the door saying, yeah, like we, we, we can make our own batteries. How cool would that be? And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> we sure that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Like you, you, like that's what I always said about full women that might be a problem. I said, okay, great. You got all these manufacturers coming in. That's obviously on face value, great news. The downside of that to me has always been the same. Is like, well, wait a minute. If you have more manufacturers, they're going to want to win. No factory wants to enter a sports a sports category in, in motorsport to finish in second or even to finish like down the order. If you've got nothing but manufacturers, well, someone's going to have to finish in last. And, <laughs> and that's always going to be a problem. So you're going to want to have factories that, that, that feasibly are going to want to spend more and more to not finish at the bottom. And that's what Formula One's had issues with over the last few years where, you know... <sighs> Teams at the bottom are more likely to drop out altogether, and yeah, not not pretty. <laughs> but, yeah, it's um, it's, oh. it's not looking pretty because we could end up in a situation where Formula E goes from probably one of the cheapest series to compete in as a manufacturer to one of the most expensive, and pretty much prices out everyone. <laughs> You mean that isn't what Mercedes is currently planning by hanging off a year before officially entering? Kinda. Uh, yes and no, because like <laughs> they're coming in season six. Season five there's going to be a new car. And like both Porsche and Mercedes are sitting out season five. Because they were like their initial contract was they're gonna come in season five. If they come in the same year as a new car, they are definitely going to lose. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna scout it out first, then before they fully commit. Like it's obvious that that's that something they're like, oh, season six, oh, yeah, oh, isn't there a new car in season? F oh, I see what they're doing here. Uh, yeah, it's like they're gonna wait and see what the, what the grounds like with the new car first. And yeah, and season five is also the first season without car swaps. Aha, uh -huh. exactly. So. Oh boy, that that could be an interesting one as well. So, but, so um, you you don't want that to be your first year in Formula E. Definitely not. Um, but yeah, again, Renault putting the warnings out there, which is funny given they're probably the best team, actually are the best team in Formula. They've, they've won every constructors championship in Formula E so far. So if they're the ones that are giving us warnings about this, then yeah, that kind of says it all, really. Um, again, again, on face value, exciting that all these guys want to take part. In depth, it's not quite as simple as that. 
A bit like motorsport in a nutshell, really. <laughs> but um, yeah, let's get into the mailbag before we get before we talk a little bit about the Centennial Cup before we close. Uh, we you have guys a really... couple of other like littler stories. Go on, King. We'll, we'll, we'll get them in there. We'll, we'll wrap them up here. Go on. <laughs> yeah, like uh, IndyCar, they're estimating that uh, the <laughs> the road course cars next year will be they'll be reaching top speeds of over 200 miles an hour next year that's bonkers like are they going to be running like the full like 825 horsepower on road courses next year then i they've always run full horsepower on road courses oh i see sorry i'm i get confused over that stuff but um yeah they run lesser power on the on the ovals where it'd be you know kind of more dangerous yeah, that makes sense. No. Thanks for making me look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah I, see, I see where you're coming from there. That does make a lot of sense. But, Jesus, 200 MPH on the road courses. I mean, they go to Road America and never get into, like, 185 round there. And that's, like, the road course is clearly the biggest and has the longest straights as well. Well, actually, like, um, the the highest speed, like, the fastest road course in the calendar is Watkins Glen. Yeah, but did they have did they have the boot in their in their home straight? Yes, or but they they, they reached the highest top speed at Watkins Glen because of the the run from the first corner all the way down to the bus stop. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point as, as it goes. Yeah, of course. Um, God, I, I did that on four or six as a live stream, and I forgot about that. This is what happens when I forget to watch Watkins Glen in IndyCar last year last series. I was like, I didn't watch it, and I found out that Hinch ran out of fuel, and I was like, nope, I'm not watching this. Now. <laughs> I can't put myself through this, um, but uh, okay, like that, like that is going to be terrifying because those those cars are fast enough, and they're running like the full eight hundred beans around on the road courses, and yeah, two hundred mph at places like Long Beach, that would be whew, all sorts of crazy. Yep. Nice. Also, Whatever. other story, n- nice segue happens to be about Long Beach. Uh, mm-hmm. this, the city council in, in Long Beach, California, they, on their, you know, table, they had to decide on whether to continue the, the IndyCar Grand Prix or, you know, try to chase down Formula One, and the council voted to keep IndyCar for the long-term future. Yay! Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not the biggest Long Beach fan in the world, but I think it's better for IndyCar than F1 by a massive margin because, like, do you like I, I like F1 at Cota, I really do, and you know, even if it had maybe two American races, I'm not sure if I'd make Long Beach round two um, for the US where that's concerned. So I'm glad they're sticking with IndyCar because I mean, I'm not a big fan of it, but apparently a lot of other people are. So uh, you know, F1's too big for Long Beach though. Oh, they were oh, they were they, they were gonna tear no. stuff down. <laughs> they were gonna tear stuff down. Really? Yeah, they were gonna they were gonna get Formula One. <laughs> Jesus. Like... But yeah, like there are a couple of stipulations with the new contract saying uh, the race, the Long Beach Grand Prix, has to be in April, and uh, as you know, a catch-all in case like the series goes downhill, there has to be at least fourteen cars on the race. Okay, well, that makes sense. Nice little failsafe they've got in there just in case, like, Penske, Andretti, and Chip all decide <laughs> to leave at once. They're prepared for such a thing. Good to know. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Um, gosh. Uh, anything else you want to get off your chest, King? <laughs> uh, only other thing. No, I think we're good. We're good. 
Yeah, I have to mention before we get into the vlog as well. Like, how adorable was the video of Rubens Barrichello? <laughs> and having his son drive a GT car, rather than just seeing the old man burst into tears, it was just the sweetest thing. <laughs> the fact as um, his son's trying to drive, like focus on driving, he's like touching his dad's hand reassuringly. It's like, the yes, sweetest I'm really doing thing. this, Dad. <laughs> It's like, it's okay, Dad, it's okay. Like, we're going to crash in a minute, but it's okay, you know? <laughs> oh, it, it, it was, like, it, it did the rounds of BBC News round, funnily enough, which was really cute. But, um, uh, but yeah, like, I, like, if you haven't seen it, go out anyway to see it. It is adorable. Because, like, Rubens, we all know, is one of the real, real nice guys in, in motorsport. One of the real wholesome, emotional, good dudes. And one of my earliest F1 memories was remembering Ruben's first win at Germany in 2000 and just seeing him just blubber like a baby on that podium when it was all said and done. And, uh, yeah, Ruben's is a good. I, I, I had to get that one in there. Um, but let's get into the mailbag. Um, like, thanks again for all your questions. You guys really did bring it on this one again. Um, and some of these are some very interesting questions. Some, like Shawnee, he's our Patreon backer, is a, is, a, is a good. He always sends in some good stuff, and he sent us a few good ones right now. Um, Shawnee asks, "Have Renault's underperformance been overshadowed by Honda?" That's an interesting question because, like, I'm not sure like if Renault is even good because Hulkenberg has been really good this season and Jolien Palmer has, well, not. So, like, what... Yeah, it's like, what's the baseline for Renault? Is it Hulkenberg or is it Palmer? Is Hulkenberg making the best of a crap car or is Palmer just dragging the team down? I don't know which one it is. (laughs) Um, King, you're the Renault guy. Any any help here? (laughs) I I don't know. I, I really don't know. Like... I really want to say that it's because, you know, Palmer's that bad and that, you know, that the Renault is as good as Hulkenberg is. That's the thing. I think Hulkenberg is better than we've given him credit for. And But the thing is, as well, I don't think Jolien is is as bad as the internet says he is either. So it's like, it's, it's somewhere in the middle and that's a big-ass grey area, unfortunately. Um... I don't know, Sean, is the, answer, is the honest answer to that one. I mean, and even looking at it from the Honda side of things, their car's not terrible. It's just it's just not reliable. They have to roll the dice on more stuff. And when it works, it's clearly effective. As we saw Fernando finish a brilliant sixth in Hungary three weeks ago, um, setting the fastest lap of the Grand Prix in the process as well. Um, so, again, you can make the argument that McLaren actually isn't that terrible either. So it's just... I don't know, man. It's a weird one. I don't know. That is a, that is an interesting one. Um, fun question from Shawnee as well. Which off-season is more unbearable? F1, IndyCar, or Formula E? IndyCar. Yeah, IndyCar. The problem Formula E is it's the best series ever. Formula E. We need it back here now. Now, now, now. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> not, 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 not going into the hype train on that one. It's going to be IndyCar for me as well. The, the problem for Formula E is there's so such big gaps in the season as well that I think the gap between the end of a season to the start of a season doesn't actually feel as bad 
there's just it's just that enormous winter break that they have between November and then bloody February like we had last season where they went like 11 weeks without a Grand Prix. It's which is just a bummer to say the least. Um, but yeah, for me, it's IndyCar. Like it's the most fun series of the three, at least in my opinion. So inherently, not having it around is not fun. Yeah, at least like. Next year, the calendar situation should be a bit better for Formula E because they're, you know, pushing things back so the season starts in December and not November, and they're actually racing in January. Yay! I mean, it says a lot for IndyCar where they start pumping out, like, you had, they were releasing old um, races, and also the every, for the past few years they've had, um, like, an off-season series yeah. Of, oh, yeah. of videos. And they had a bunch of drivers at Marcos just running around in race suits and helmets. Yay! (laughs) Okay, next question. Again, from Shawnee. King, do you think a second tyre war is desirable and feasible? No. (laughs) (laughs) Short answer, no. Long answer. (laughs) The only thing... Like with ty- to get a second tire team is you would have to make sure it's split evenly amongst the top teams. There's there's not, not like enough there's not enough manufacturers. Mm-hmm. I know, but like that's the only way it would be feasible is you'd have to make sure that Ferrari and Mercedes were with different tire manufacturers. And I was never a fan of the last tire war between Bridgestone and Michelin that we had in Formula One because, like, certain tracks, you just knew that, like, Ferrari had no chance of winning. Um, totally unbiased comment, by the way, because they were the only big team on Bridgestones back in the day. But um, I was never a fan of that. Really six cars in. We don't speak of that race around here, Zoe. <laughs> uh, it doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like you say. Um, Tire wars cause those awkward situations like that. I know, obviously, they're very extreme circumstances, but there's still possibilities that shit like that can happen. And as MotoGP has had hiccups over the years when it comes to tire issues, you've got to be careful on things like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think it's really particularly feasible. And one more from Shawnee asks Who will be Charles Leclerc's first F1 team? We all in on Sauber, folks? Yeah, Sauber. Yeah. <laughs> Sauber. Yeah, pretty much. I think I think that's his. I think that's his good one. Um, like, I, I get uh, Charles. Just, Charles Regible just sent in a really good question literally two seconds ago. I'll get. Yeah, to he, he messaged me saying, "Is it too late to send in a message?" I'm like, "Nah, you you just you're yeah, just squeaking yeah, it in." Yeah, perfect. You timed it absolutely on the nose. I mean, we're gonna t- kind of talk about this anyway, but um, I get to Charles at the end of the mailbag because of how well timed it is. And the nature of the question itself. We'll take it that in a minute. Brian Glennon, who, shout out to him, he runs our fan page on Instagram. Uh, so, yeah, Brian Glennon has got a few questions for us as well. He says, favorite NASCAR drivers, first of all. It, so, King, who's, who's your favorite guy in NASCAR? Kyle Larson in the, in the, 40, in hey. the 42 Chip Ganassi. I like Kyle Larson. He's great. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a big NASCAR guy for obvious reasons, but I do like Kyle Larson. He's pretty cool. Um... So Craig, congrats to him and his Michigan win. I'd say Blaney just because of the Penske games. <laughs> oh yeah, Blaney's a, Blaney is a gem on the Penske games. Like, like Ryan Blaney is cool as hell. So uh, yeah, like, if, I'm, if, I, if I ever end up watching the NASCAR race again, I'm going to root for Ryan Blaney as well because Blaney is cool. Um, 
Also, he asked as part of a double bandy question. He says, who's going to win the Cup Series playoff if it goes to Truex, Larson, Johnson, and Carl Busch as the final four? Jimmy Johnson, eight time. Eight, he's going to be eight time. Our man, Vanilla. <laughs> Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. No, we heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. Um, interesting question from Glenn here as well, um, from, as well. He says, if you had an F1 team, who would be your first and second driver if the second driver had to be either Palmer or Kvyat? So you have to have either Palmer or Kvyat as your second driver, but who would be your number one? Oh, God. Like, I'd probably go Vettel and Kvyat. <laughs> mm. What about you, Zoe? I don't know. I mean, what team are they going to be in? Because <laughs> that's going to affect who you pick as, like, who you pick for your first driver as well. Yeah. If I'm going to call it a, a blank slate, I would say... I'm trying really hard not to say Seb here. <laughs> does, it, does, it, does, it, does it sound too much of a boner pick if I say Sebastian? A little bit. <laughs> I'd say it'd be Sebastian or Alonso because that way at least like you're going to have someone who can like build like set up a decent car. So then maybe whichever one of those pal- between Palmer and Kvyat, they're at least going to have a decent base setup to work off of. Zoe, it can't be Fernando. You know why? Because Fernando is a specialist in second place when teams are built around him. That's that's how this is. Like we can't have Nando running the team. Like it shows his weakness, his crippling lack of foresight. Um, yeah, I'm gonna take Sebastian. I'm gonna take Sebastian, and I because I'm an egotistical team owner, I would think I would be able to try and bring Kvyat's good days back. So I'd probably take the nil Kvyat. Over Julian Palmer, who's probably a lost cause at this point. Um, speaking of which, he also asks, who's the worst driver in F1 right now? Are we always going to say Julian Palmer and move on? Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately. like, <laughs> Sorry, Julian. Like, I, don't, I don't even we dislike you all that much. <laughs> we have numbers. We have numbers on our fantasy cheats sheet coming up very soon uh, regarding that. It's probably already out by the time you get this. Um... But, uh, Ken yeah. has crunched the numbers. <laughs> yep, he, he, he's, he's got the calculator out, bless him. And uh, more on that soon. Um, I think Nor and... Um, quick, quick, I think something else is, yeah, like, yeah, Sam, like, actually, yeah. Sam Taylor asks, who do you think will be the next team to enter F1 and when? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wish I did. It comes back to our early thing regarding, like, when we were talking about the the junior teams. All Just teams. say Andretti, you <laughs> fangirl. <laughs> I'm trying not to just say Andretti. <laughs> yeah, but it's, again, who knows on that one? Because, again, the barrier of entry is so great, we haven't even thought about this possibility. It's probably going to be one of those Chinese teams. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Funnily, yes, like, that Chinese team that Eddie Jordan was convinced was going to buy Mercedes at the start. We don't talk about drunken uncle on this podcast anymore. <laughs> uh, like, like Eddie Jordan is that junk, is that drunken uncle that was always at the cookout. He always ends up bringing the guacamole, so it's really nice. But unfortunately, he ends up saying things that are a little bit racist, and it's all really awkward. That's Eddie Jordan in a nutshell, only in F1 context. Um, on the flip side of the coin, Nor the Dragon asks, how many years till we get the next F1 team fall out of the sport? 
See what I did there? Yin and yang. Hmm? <laughs> Ooh, who could leave? Salma. If Marcus Ericsson if Marcus Ericsson somehow gets to Eve Ho at some point, Salma is toast. <laughs> what, he's, he's, just gonna, he's, he's just gonna leave a trail of well, lighter remember, fluid. Salma did vanish before. <laughs> Not really, they, though. They became BMW for a while. But they were BMW yeah. sovereign. That was their best time. Mm-hmm. The Rubik Cubitzer era. Mm-hmm. Good times. It's probably going to be something like if it if it happens to Salbert, it'll probably be that again, where they get absorbed into another team, into a manufacturer. Yeah. yeah. I Is it really it. the same though? Haas, depending on who Haas does next season, I could see him possibly. Nah. Based on his recent <laughs> comments. I, I don't think Gene is going to rage quit this one. <laughs> not this yeah, early. Not, not so much rage quit, but it's that kind of a... If he's, like, he's throwing in so much money, I don't know how long he could justify it, sort of thing. Oh, but you I think it's just can... like, if if he gives up throwing money at it, it's probably just going to become a Ferrari BT. <laughs> <laughs> Uh huh. Either way, like if it's Haas or Salber, they're going to be absorbed into another, te- like, a manufacturer. Yeah. Um. Shout out to our man Andrew Kissinger, the winner of the annoying Simon Pagano really cool new T-shirt the Pensy Games put out the other day. Damn you, Andrew. Um. <laughs> he, he he asks a question of boring one. Is the quick faltering of NASCAR a bad sign for motorsports in general, or is it so isolated to itself it doesn't impact the rest? It's kind of isolated, I think. Yeah, it, it is extremely, extremely NASCAR specific. Because, uh-huh. like, as much as IndyCar is American centric, we like it still gets attention from outside America, good and bad. Yeah, NASCAR and it... have had some insane crashes, and you don't get the same sort of reactions. It's very much American. It's you would have to look at another series that really is just focused. Like you'd have to look at British Touring Car or something else that is very much a national with very little out with probably DTM. True. 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 Maybe. That, yeah, that makes sense. It should be noted that. Like, it came up recently by comments made by NASCAR driver Kevin Harvick, where he pointed out, where he kind of blamed Dale Earnhardt Jr. for not being, for, for NASCAR not being as popular it used to be. Like, it's a terrible, terrible point. <laughs> but right. it should be noted that, like, NASCAR has a driver award called the Most Popular Driver Award. It's a fan vote award. They vote who they like the most. Dale Earnhardt Jr. has won that award every year since the 2003 season. Dale Earnhardt Jr. has never won a championship. Right. To so, be fair, IndyCar had won, has won, and Danica used to win all the time. Yeah, but you think Ugh. the thing is, Danica was always like always a front runner in in IndyCar. Like, at least like there was an outside shot that she would win the championship. Dale Jr. has never she been close. She won one race. But she was always a solid points finisher. Yeah, but it's like... Cause if, I'm trying to think, like, James has won it. Yes, James has won it. Won it. Um, 
2013, I think he won it. Yeah. Um, Justin won it uh, posthumously. Yeah, if, if a driver dies, like, it's they always uh, win. And Corson won it as well, same. Yeah. Music. Same circumstances, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, but blaming Dale Jr. for the sport not being as popular because Dale Jr. himself is popular is a friggin' batshit backwards point and is terrible. <laughs> that, that, that is a WWE point. <laughs> like... Right. It's like, it's like blame the popular guy for the sport not being popular. Uh, wait, what? Um, because like, he like, doesn't d- win. Like, like <laughs> Dale Jr., like, he's never finished in the top three in the championship. Actually, no. He finished top... He finished third... In 2003, the first year he won the award, that's his best season, period. The, the problem intrinsically with that is is that, like, just because a guy w- does wins or doesn't win doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be popular or unpopular. Yeah, I mean, and the least <laughs> popular guys always win the championship. That should also be noted, that the least popular yeah. drivers always win the championship. Because motorsport doesn't like winners. They never have. Well, like, not really. No, like, no, no. Like, as in, they were unpopular before they started winning then they won right then they won that's also very true so yeah i think it's an i think nascar is such an is in such a bubble in terms of the motorsport landscape that i don't think their faltering is going to have an effect on other folks at least that's how i look at it anyway um one for the one for the history one for the historians on here so basically not me like evan manley who asks is rossberg a worthy world champion brackets i mean keke <laughs> I see what you did there, Evan. <laughs> well played. Well, and the thing is, to in order to win a championship, the first thing you have to do is finish the race. It helps. So, because oh, that's why the seasons we had the most winners ever. Yeah, in F one. So don't. It's, it's honestly, it'd been different if Didier Perot. Didier didn't have that crash. Yeah, Yeah, Didier Peroni finished second in the championship, tied with John Watson, and he, what, he died in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Which was uh, the the fifth to last round, so there were still five races left to run. Yeah, there's, there's a case you can make for Peroni probably... Probably shouldn't have. He probably should have won that title if he was still alive. But unfortunately, that was what F1 was back then. You, you, back then, you, you would lose three or four guys a decade. That's just the nature of it. And you can only beat who they put in front of you. That's what I always say. And yeah, he didn't but... die in the German Grand Prix. He had a crash that ended his career. Well, you know what I mean. Well, <laughs> close yeah, enough. pretty much. <laughs> his 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 racing career is over and. The, the gap wasn't large enough for him to retain the championship. Sadly. Yeah. It wasn't like York and Rents. Yeah, fair enough. My bad. Um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, because any beat they put in front of you at the end of the day. And, yeah, it's not Keke's fault that uh, Didier couldn't race after that incident. It's just it's just how it is. Yeah, the, like, the, 882 the... was a dark year for Ferrari. They lost two yeah. drivers. Like, one driver died, one driver had a career-ending injury. Ah, mm-hmm. because uh-huh, that was you had. Because I've just double checked the thing, and that was obviously you had Gilles uh, um, had yeah. that fatal qualifying accident. So Didier Perron was withdrawn from that race. Yeah, 
So he, he missed the race there. And then obviously at Germany he had the crash that ended his career, so... Yeah. Says it all, really. Um, it's one of those things. Like, 82 is just a dark year, and, you know, it's one of those things. Um, sorry if I butchered your name again. I think I got it right. Uh, Vagilis Kelemenis. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, asks, would it be possible for an endurance F1 race to happen, brackets 12 or 24 hours, and would you care to watch that event? No, yeah. not particularly. No. Like, if I had to see, like, an F1 race be extended, I'd probably say go back to the original race distance of Formula 1 races. What was it back then? Because, right, uh, like, right now it's uh, 300, it, it's, it's 305 kilometers. It used to be 500 kilometers. Oh, wow, so like 60% longer. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 60% longer. Yeah, back when they had ridiculously long tracks as well, because obviously you don't even like do. I think I think it's maybe a quarter or a third of the the original Spa track. Like, yeah, and like even though the cars were slower, like the races were about like on on the faster tracks, like Le Mans style tracks, they were about three hours long. Monaco, oh my god, no, <laughs> oh, no, 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 I would not want like. Given that F1 is largely quite boring, I would not want to sit down and watch 12 hours if it as opposed to an hour and a half. Um, making it look like, like, get me wrong, I probably would watch the first one out of curiosity. Like, like okay, like, okay, we're gonna have like a, a super team of one car, of like these dudes in this car, and then you know, we're gonna refuel during races, have these super ultra thick tyres on there to, you know, make it like, you know, we're gonna double stint the tyres. Like, the, as a one off, maybe you could tempt me into seeing it. But over, it would a ring, probably a, have to be like a charity event or something. That 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 yeah, that'd have to be that that'd be a lot of strings being pulled for it to be a charity thing. To, uh, for, I, it's like if you're going to make it a one-off, it would have to be something like that. You would have to make it because I can't see how they would justify a, a one-off, even like a trailer. Does the trailer or otherwise, it would have to be some form of... I mean, quadruple like... points! Quadruple points! <laughs> I... No, I'm joking. Because I, like, I know the first race to get shortened, because it, it wasn't uniform at first. Like, uh, It was basically Monaco, then all the other races got shortened. So uh, Monaco was the first race to get shortened to 300 kilometers, and then all the other races were still 500. Then they decided, we're moving down to 300, and also Monaco's getting shortened again. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, we, we haven't knocked it down enough yet. Uh-huh. Um, One of these days, it will just see. vanish. It will just be, like, like they'll just go there and pose. and they, like It'll just be a qualifying event, and that's it. Yeah, the, the only Formula One, Formula One Monaco Grand Prix that was the full... Uh, actually, no. Monaco was never actually 500 kilometers. They shortened it in the interest of time. It was always 100 laps. Oh, okay. But yeah, Oof. yeah. Even though it was shortened, it was about three hours, 15 minutes. But that was in like the 50s with older, slower cars. Yep. Um, Josh Sutil of the Motocast team. Hi, Josh. Nice to see you. Um, he says, "Dream Motorsport 101 guest." Oh. I really want to say Joseph, Joseph Newgarden. You want Joseph on that bad? Can you yeah, watch any IndyCar driver? Well, 
Well, we've al- well we've already had that, Zoe. You know. <laughs> well, I've already nudged you for one. Yeah, we we already had the the, the two time five hundred runner up. So yeah, like we we can tick that one off the list. Um, well, like I wouldn't actually say Sebastian because I don't think he'd make for the best interview, but. It's kind of why I may or may not have sent an email off to Smith Peterson today. Just throwing Over that one out. Just throwing out that. Zoe may have or may not have basically strangled me and said, send that email off. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, watch this space. That's all I'll say for now. But, um, yeah, just throwing it out there. Um, I will probably say James Inchliffe. Like, as I think, like, if I could get half an hour just to ask him about the crash, you know, the story. No, don't and, ask him about the crash. Well, not, not, not that much, you know. He'd, he'd have to go there if it was extended, but not massively. It's been so long, though. <laughs> all right, all right. Then, it was like, when he, he went, it's like, it's like, that bit's over. The minute he got pole at Indy 500, it should have been done. And then but he then went and raced him. It to yes, this is long your beach. story for the crash done. It's like, it got done ages ago. He bet he, when he got pulled at the track, nearly killed him. That was it. The only mm. other way to like the only other time you can turn around and say the story is fully closed if it's every Wednesday under five hundred. True. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I was shut down by that one real quick. I was like, <laughs> it's like shut up, Dre. We're not talking about that anymore. <laughs> I, I don't like when drivers are basically reduced their crashes. I mean, that's one of the reasons I hate. I hate like some of the British coverage when it comes to IndyCar that it's all about the crashes. Yeah, like Daddy we've got more coverage for having two flips in the space of a week than winning the Indy five hundred, winning championships. He got more coverage when he crashed um, his his career ending crash. He yeah. got more coverage for that than anything else. He did, yeah. I think the only thing that got more coverage regarding him was possibly his divorce to Ashley Judd. <laughs> <laughs> The sad thing is, is that because I wasn't an IndyCar fan back then, the first I'd heard of Dario Franchitti was his career-ending accident, and that's sad given the state of his career. But yeah, if it was me, yeah, I'd probably say James. So yeah, you never know, right? Who knows? Set, I think set... yeah. I would have to say out with IndyCar. <laughs> I think Fernando's like from some of the interviews he's done. I think Fernando would be quite good. He seems to. Be able to handle quite well. Just don't um, make him pick the music out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I, 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 one thing I'd have to ask Inch though, he's one win away from being the second most like most winning Canadian in serious history. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> but that that like he's tied on five with Patrick Carpentier, Scott Goodyear, uh, Jacques Villeneuve, and Greg Moore. Uh, that is a big crowded Canadian field at five wins. But then, like, the one spot, like, that is a long way off. You got PT at, at sitting pretty at 31 wins. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get to PT on that one, sadly. Uh, yeah. PT was a bit good as much as he was a cretin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was also very good at the whole car racing thing, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you, you kind of end up sitting there wondering what I with Greg, because he was supposed to be in Penske. True that. Yeah. True that. 
Um, just check. Yeah, Henry Chapman. And also, I have to say a quick apology to Henry as well because I actually skipped over this one last week. He asked me this one last week, and I accidentally missed it by accident. Sorry, Henry. Uh, you, have to, you have to wait so long to find out. What's your favourite motorsport helmet? In- Be careful here. Um, <laughs> Be careful. I, th- I think it might be what I think it was Simone that had it. Um, I'm just double checking it was her before I see it. Mm, I'm trying to think here. Like uh, favorite ooh, ever like... helmet design. Ooh, I I did love the early 2000 Schumacher and the Marlboro and the bright red. That was just iconic to me. Oh, favorite ever? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah. It just, says, it just says favorite in general. So you know, go 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 to town on this. But for me, like, I'd probably say like my t- it, to me, it's probably mm, yeah, Rosberg's neon neon yellow helmet. Oh, is that uh, was that his William days or was that the like like the early Merck's days before we went to the black? The early Merck's days where, ah, where he yeah, was yeah, in the yeah. neon. Where he had the the yellow the yellow gloves yellow helmet and Schumacher had the the bright red helmet and the bright red gloves. Oh yeah 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 yeah. That's a good shout. That was, that was a good helmet design. I did like that. I like James's. Like, oh I, yeah. I, I, TK's is the funniest. <laughs> For mm. anyone who doesn't know, um, TK's helmet was inspired by the fact that one of his friends. Um, friends from childhood basically had this long blonde hair that he could put behind his ear. Oh TK had black frizzy hair, so couldn't yes. do this. His alternative was basically his helmet design has the flicks. Those wee flicks are basically supposed to be hair, blonde hair behind the ear. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that was the idea for his helmet design? Yes. I. Wow. Um, yeah, okay. probably like... My honorable mention has to go to Sebastian Vettel's current helmet design. Oh, I do love the white. I do love the white and the German flag down the side. I think that's very cool. Like, I've got, I've got to collect all of those at some point. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, like for me, I'm a big fan of of, of Michael's of, of Michael Schumacher's design back in the early 2000s in the bright red when the like because we, we at school we didn't need him the red baron for that reason because he had that that iconic red Marlboro helmet. It was just gorgeous and for me i probably would say that i probably would say michael schumacher's um is it was is, is great and i'm trying to think if there's, if there's an honorable mention in there i can give to something i'm trying to think and like which would i take over the top but of all the sebastian vettels i was a massive being a superhero guy i've always loved the captain america one he had at cota in 2013 i want to say it was it was like 13 or 14 um can't remember which one specifically but the captain america one was gorgeous um i was a big fan of that i thought that was very cool um and i do have to say i love all of mark marquez's helmets oh they're great he's a fantastic like like he has a really good helmet designer and i wish they would they would find a way to make half scales for him because i would buy all of them like like the power button the red of the big 93 the black and the white they're all these all these designs are fantastic like marquez has got a genius artist behind him whoever that is uh mark marquez is a fantastic in mike race and that's a very good point you mentioned there king um last question and we've been teasing this one up from from charles reginald on this one thanks for getting it in right at the death well timed as 100 approaches, what is your pick for the absolutely most hilarious moment in the history of the Motorsport 101 podcast? 
So we were kind of we were kind of teasing that we were going to talk about some of our favorite moments going into episode one hundred. And I mean, King, for you, what 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 would be your all time funniest moment? Oh my god! Which because uh, there's a few contenders what? here. Yeah, there's there's a couple of contenders. Uh, I'll I'll never be able to live down the moment where where Rossi wins the five hundred. Oh God! Yeah, that that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like the hangout and then just just oh man and just just <laughs> Chris Cook getting torched on that one by Sarah Connors is still a legendary moment. Um, in our show's history, not exactly an episode directly, but still something truly special. Um, God, the time we played Shagamari Kill in episode sixty-three was pretty crazy. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Never again. <laughs> on on that one, um, that was pretty hilarious. Um, the draft results, I will never live down. Um, Basically, finding out that Cook indirectly kind of boned me on that one. Um, I will never forgive him for that one, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> like, like I, I, I should have tactically voted, but I didn't. I was too honest, and I put, I put Matt's team as the best. Like, <laughs> I was honest. I was honourable to the end. I genuinely thought Matt's team was the best outside of my own, so I put him at number one when I really shouldn't have done. But Chris kind of did that for me. Um, thanks, Chris. Sleep with one eye open again, just in case. <laughs> just just want to point that out. Um, Adam Johnson getting a restraining order talking about Laura Kenny was hilarious. On during the 2016 Olympic Games was pretty funny. Um, I'm trying to think. If there's any other really really epic ones in there that was just hilarious. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head that were really good. Um, like Zoe, I know you've been listening in in recent times. Like, if you've not been on the show itself, have you got any in there? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, there's been a couple of five moments, like, like before we've actually started recording and that. Oh yeah, like the annoying thing about our show sometimes is that half of it doesn't even like like half of it is just left on the cutting room floor before we even actually record stuff. It's kind of a problem for us. Like we we end up talking for about half an hour or forty five minutes before we even actually record the show. Um, I must say, absolutely telling you what my plans were and then telling you I actually don't really stop recording last week. <laughs> <laughs> or or you weren't here, but. When we're just about to start recording for an episode, and Dre's you know, closing his tabs, making sure you know he's not straining oh, his computer no, or anything, no. and he's like, "Oh, wait, let me close Discord," and then he just disconnects. <laughs> not my finest hour, um, if I'm honest. I think that's going to be in the episode 100 blooper reel. Uh, yes, because my end was recorded. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the the sort of face. 10 seconds that me and Alex took over during the the live stream for the last IndyCar race. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> Just... Dre walked away and we were like, yes, it's they're the good girls. <laughs> How dare you try to hijack my position. Like, the moment I turn my back, look what happens. Like I, I try to, I, I get overthrown but, uh, by, by, by the Greek girl slash fancy hair club. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> not not my finest hour. But um, yeah, me clicking off Discord was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, that was that was a bad one. I think, and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure Sotheby's got that in the blooper reel for 100. I'm 99 sure he does. Um, um, minor spoiler: like we've put together some of our finest moments in they'll be sprinkled out across episode 100 so um you can look forward to some of my um mostly my low lights in the course of hosting this podcast in the last 100 100 episodes but i think for me the two that stand out like for me that were the funniest was king talking about daniel ricardo and his nickname for his fan base oh my god (laughs) he knows the one um yes again episode 100 um and the other one again i think the shag marry kill that went way out of hand on episode 63 was was just hilarious where we basically all just became red-blooded males even more so than usual um whoever sent that question in is going to die i will find that out um i have to go back and dig that one up for episode 63 i think it was the episode nicknamed the booty call to ayrton senna um <laughs> which again just kind of says it all really um but for me probably that just overall great moments the draft is still just legendary and everything that goes with it is just great any other amazing obviously getting carlos munoz has been fantastic um the menu uh, question was yeah <laughs> i'm very proud of that one personally um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the thing you told me you you were getting him, and then like the same day or something, like, he he posted a picture of mm-hmm. him and his partner, and they're they're matching minion tops. Yeah, I I can't take full credit for that one. I have to give a lot of credit to you on that one, Zoe, because you're the one that pointed that out to me. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna ask him about this now, <laughs> and he got it in. And he, he he saw the funny side of it, and I was like, thank God he did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that, that could have easily gone south very quickly. So which I'm glad I saved that one for the end, but I was very happy with that one. Um, <laughs> on the bike life side of things, like getting a good 20 minutes in with Greg Haynes was absolutely fantastic. He's such a brilliant, knowledgeable biking nerd that um, like Greg Haynes is, is a gem um, on Eurosport. And um, like we, we've got to get him back on at some point because he was absolutely great. So just to have a proper... 20 30 minutes with him and just basically just picked the bones of world Superbikes going in that was that was fantastic getting carlos munoz was was, was great um any other amazing members of the front? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have a quick score for this to see if it brings to mind but the episode directly after last year's 500 with sarah connor's on i'm pretty sure that was her first episode king that she was on the show with yeah, us, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And it was it was so epic. We got Connors on there because, of course, her Rossi affiliation was at its peak, <laughs> right there and then. <laughs> Hence, we named the episode after her, basically going, "Oh, say can you Rossi," um, which was just amazing. The reboot itself, and just basically having the invigoration for that one. I still, unfortunately, owe Adam Johnson many beers for that one because it was. The reboot in the podcast was kind of his idea, basically. Um, I have to give him a lot of credit because me and him, we sat down in this very bedroom I'm recording this right now um, over several Cokes and uh, we drew up a business plan. And yeah, um, it's turned out all right since then, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I, think, I think we've done all right, King, since then. I think, yeah. I, think I don't think we've done too bad, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I'm tr- I'm like... 
the the birth of future shot i thought was <laughs> was was amazing and episode 75 out well, the, the diamond so to speak episode 75 and um just basically like any time we've had to go in depth with lists like mount nivel and uh, like one of our very early episodes king our top 10 all time lists and like i've always enjoyed those analytical sort of discussions we've had on this show over the time as well um so but obviously the rise of future shot and sebastian vettel's opening win was um whew, uh <laughs> that was a special one like i wasn't i have never been as smug as i have been <laughs> recording an episode and trust me i've done smug on numerous times on this show and i want to say a shout out to all the other guys on twitter that suggested my numerous rants at many things <laughs> in this show's history including sky sports f1 on episode 70 our first award show um and me ranting about ferrari in the middle of their mid-season crisis when vettel had the puncture in austria in 2016 um i was not a happy bunny that day to say the least so for me i think those are the ones that stand out to me the most um in the god i've done i've not done every not done all the 100 episodes i think i've done about 95 of them i want to say i think i've missed about four um in my time on the on, on the show and um um yeah so gosh uh, they, like picking picking a few out of that has been hard because we've done so much stuff over the over the last almost three years now on this show but um i mean king you got any others in there that you want to point out special moments for you even if they weren't necessarily funny uh <laughs> I think I think you covered all of them that I would have said. Yeah, yeah, true that. Um, also, I want to say a special shout out because they were always so immune, um, so always so funny at the time. I know she doesn't do them anymore, but Zara Daniela doing our thumbnails at the time were fantastic. Um, I know we wanted a bit more of a uniform, you know, professional look as time went on, but some of Zara's were just absolute gold <laughs> over over the <laughs> over, over the over the 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 that year of 2016 when she was doing our thumbnail stuff she was always just so brilliant at that um a, a proper talent and now writing for moto matters because she's really good at the biking stuff so um check out moto matters as her because her work is on there as well and she's really good at that sort of thing um but yeah i think that just about does it for the mailbag on this occasion so king do you want to talk briefly a little a, a little uh, a little teaser for the centennial cup next week before we go yes just uh basic of all basic rundowns for this yes the the draft is back and it's back in a different way hopefully without strategic voting yeah thank god for that (laughs) (laughs) yeah this time the draft round is going to be more similar to a fantasy game where over the course of about a month well, yeah, a little over a month, we'll we'll pick... Well, at the start of the month, we're going to pick a team of drivers, and based on their performances in their races, whoever's team scores the most points wins. And this fantasy game will include Formula 1, IndyCar, Formula 2, and the Formula 3 European Championship. In other words, Kings have to dig deep into his vast nerd nerdum here to go as deep as the <laughs> European Formula Three for crying out loud. I mean, you've got to pick three dudes out from that class, so that's going to be fun. Um, um, well, you, you don't really have to follow the series that long because 
for European Formula Three, it's only one weekend of races. True, true. It's 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 it's, it's like the Aster Cup, but uh, but for but for Centennial Edition. But um, yeah, King. Anything? Any other details you want to go into for him, or, or how much do you want to save uh, for next? Because you you came up with the rule book, so I'll leave this to you. <laughs> um, like, how much do you okay. want to reveal now, and how much do we save for next week? Well, obviously we're going to, obviously well, we're going to say it all properly next week anyway. But <laughs> I'll just I'll just say that the races that are going to be you know involved in this. Obviously, when F1 comes back from summer break, that's when it starts. So the first weekend is going to be the Belgian Grand Prix, the Gateway 500, and the Formula 2 races. Then the next week, Formula 1 and Formula 2 at Monza, IndyCar at the Glen. Then the weekend after that is the Formula 3 weekend. Then the weekend after that, it's Singapore and Sonoma to close things out. Well, yep. So yeah, that's that's gonna be the 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 calendar list for this for this fantasy game, the Centennial Cup. Um, people have asked, like Lens, like who the lineup is going to be. Well, I'll tell you four names. Like me, I'm of course I'm going to be involved because I fuck can I not be? I've got I need revenge on 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 Mac. <laughs> I need revenge on Mac Carnero's pasty Brazilian ass so I need I need revenge on him <laughs> um, and you get to, to, to spoiler alert yep he's back in there as well um, so Matt's back to defend his title so to speak Ryan King of course will be taking part um, Zoe is going to be here as well for that one as well and King the return of uh, a certain Tennessee podcaster <laughs> Yes, the return of the phenomenal R.J. O'Connell. Yes! Woo! (laughs) Those R.J. O'Connell fans out there, and I know you're out there because people have been asking me about this. Yes, R.J. O'Connell will be back for episode 100 as well. Um, And yeah, like, I've read the rule book. I kind of know what's going to happen, and I'm really excited for nerdy things like this. So I can't wait to get this going next week. And it'll be a landmark occasion. Episode 100 of Motorsport 101. Um, that'll be next week. Just before we go, a quick bit of general housekeeping. Basically, you can find us, of course. We're on motorsport101.net, our website. with a brand new... Actually, in fact, two new blog articles have gone up in the last few days from yours truly. So check that out as well. Um, be sure to listen in to Bike Live later this week with me and Lewis Sudderby. We'll be talking about the epic epic weekend of racing from Austria and of course all the drama that came alongside of that as well as Davizioso and Marquez basically went to war for our entertainment um, that a, a fantastic Moto2 race with Frankie Morbidelli um, Thomas Luti and Alex Marquez getting into a real ding dong fight and Moto3 as Joe Amir basically put one hand on the championship in Moto3 um, all of that and of course all the drama that came alongside that as well um, on that one Basically, you can find us on the on social media on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, we're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow us personally, we're at, at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two days, and at We Zoe. Uh, fluent in Glaswegian, of course, um, if, 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 if you're worried about the spelling. It's exactly what you think it is. And of course, if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. If you back us at the $5 level, you get early access to both this episode and, of course, all episodes of Bike Live as well. So, until next time, I guess check back in for episode 100. Can't wait. Until then, I've been Andre Harrison, they've been Ryan King, 
and Zoe Hamilton. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. Bye. How on earth did we go over two hours? <laughs> and you said we had nothing to talk about. Then again, I say this every week. So, you know. <laughs>